I'm Carol Speakerman, and this is Speakerman Speaks Retail, presented by MarketScale. Hey everyone, it's Carol. Welcome to episode 24 of Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next. I'm here to help retail-focused companies land big B2B programs, and also to cut through all the clutter and the noise through my latest retail trajectories. These are themes that I'm constantly creating, connecting, and mapping across all kinds of categories, borders, business models, and touch points. In every episode, we talk about how you can harness them to grow your business wherever you play in retail. Now, today we're going to take on a completely new trajectory that's gaining steam and changing the retail game. Then I'm going to wrap up with my quick takes on some retail news that's really jumped out at me since we were last together. In the last episode, we talked about how services and solutions are accelerating and becoming such a major growth engine for retail. We also talked about how some service-oriented companies just don't even identify as being retailers, regardless of how many stores they end up operating. But I would argue that until they do start thinking like retailers and really owning that identity, they're not going to be successful as retailers. In other words, identity matters. And identity underpins a lot of what we're going to talk about today. We've also talked about how traditional retailers are pushing into solutions and services to diversify and keep shoppers engaged with their platforms. It's turning into a major movement in retail. But traditional retailers haven't always thought that they were adept at making solutions and services work on their platforms. They tended to be very product-focused. But put a pin in that because we're going to talk about just how quickly that mindset is changing in just a minute. Traditional retailers are already taking solutions and services to the next level. But are they doing it because they can or because they must? Well, most of the media coverage is really focused on making the argument that they have to do it. Once again, positioning retailers as being in a defensive position and scrambling for new revenue streams and trying to keep up with customers. Well, that might be true for a few retailers. But it's definitely not true for all, and it's shifting very quickly. In fact, a recent quote from Walmart CEO Doug McMillan puts Walmart firmly in the offensive position. He said, We feel emboldened, and now we're moving with even more speed and aggressiveness. And he went on to exemplify the mindset shift I mentioned a minute ago and today's trajectory when he said, For an increasing number of customers, Walmart will be seen more like a service. He didn't say Walmart will be seen as a service provider. He said Walmart itself will be seen as a service. That's a subtle but powerful nuance right there. Walmart is getting behind my latest trajectory, retailer as service. And once again, Walmart is leading the charge in terms of the sheer breadth of services and solutions that it's bringing into its platform. Doug further defined the strategy by saying, we're scaling more capabilities and businesses and designing them to work together in a mutually reinforcing way. So in other words, all of these services and solutions are meant to complement one another. But all of this really just goes back to that fundamental platform premise that we talk about in just about every episode. The fact that retailers are no longer just places that sell stuff, they're evolving into becoming platforms that now tie together content, data, acquisitions, partnerships, and yes, increasingly, solutions and services. So the idea of a retailer being a service is the next logical evolution of the platform principle. Now, Walmart's been in the platform building biz for years, but now it's taking on retailer as service. Walmart's opened 20 healthcare clinics that offer medical services like annual physicals and dental checkups, and they have plans to open many more. 
Walmart's launching a financial tech startup that offers affordable financial products for its customers, but also for employees. It plans to grow its ad business by more than 10 times the current level in the next five years. But they're not the only ones. Kroger has been investing in businesses outside of traditional grocery, and they're being really bold about their ambitions to amp up alternative revenue streams, which are expected to bring in $100 to $150 million in additional revenue just this year. Kroger is also hitting on healthcare with its 360 care program and its little clinic locations. And they also have an internal ad arm that they call Kroger Precision Marketing that's been really successful. It's experiencing explosive growth. I wouldn't be surprised if Kroger and Akato start looking at ways to monetize their new fulfillment partnership once they work out all the bugs and get things humming. I think they're going to make these capabilities available to other retailers and direct-to-consumer brands. But let's pump the brakes for a minute and look at the groundbreaking aspects of all of this. When you think of a retailer positioning itself as a service, you would assume that it's in service to consumers, right? But Walmart and Kroger are looking at their service platforms in terms of providing multi-stakeholder benefits and opportunities. Consumers are part of it, yes, but also employees and suppliers. That's a major strategic shift because historically, retailers have offered health care plans, employee discounts, special shopping days, and so on to employees. But now they're positioning their diversification plays into healthcare ventures, financial service partnerships, and so on, as also providing alternatives and benefits to employees. So as retailers like Walmart, Kroger, and Target also build out their internal advertising, data mining, and marketing agencies, their positioning as being a service to suppliers. This is a platform monetization play that serves as a powerful hedge against the ups and downs of consumer spending. Deep-pocketed brand marketers are going to help pump up the bottom line for retailers as they tap into retailers' platform capabilities. There's a lot of push and pull going on here. Retailers are realizing an opportunity to grow through business model diversification, but also through customer diversification that now includes monetizing their platforms with their own employees and also suppliers. Amazon has done this on the supplier side for years. They're the master of platform building and platform monetization. But now Amazon is also creating services like Amazon Cares to provide telehealth and in-home health care to employees. And Amazon is wait for it, now making those services available to other Washington-based companies. So retailers are pushing a lot of levers here. They're providing services to employees that in the end help drive down costs for things like healthcare. Then they're monetizing those investments elsewhere. At the same time, large-scale retailers are looking at their employees and suppliers as a viable customer base. Let's talk about three ways that this retailer-as-service identity changes the game for suppliers of all stripes. First of all, it creates a strong suggestion, or you could even say a mandate, for suppliers to actively support retailers' in-house services. We're going to see more brand marketing dollars shifting to retailers. It also means that if they build it, they expect you to use it, and retailers are going to show favor to suppliers that support their platforms. So your data, content, sales, and marketing teams and your point people need to be actively asking about where and why your retail partners are expanding their platforms, and you need to stay on top of retailers' service investments and their aspirations and expectations. I can't tell you how many times recently retailers have expressed frustration to me about how their suppliers are not going to them first and not supporting their platforms. 
One retail executive put it this way. He said, third-party contributions should be additive, but not definitive. That's a pretty bold statement, but it gives you an idea of the confidence they have in their capabilities and their expectation for suppliers to tap into them. Secondly, in terms of positioning, the word identity, I'm going to go back to it again because it raises new questions and it's so key to this new positioning opportunity. All this diversification into services, it's not just stuff that they're doing. It's quickly evolving into an ownable identity for retailers. For years, I've been asking my brand marketing clients, how will your positioning change if your customer sees itself as a brand, not just as a place that sells your brands? Well, the new question is, how will it transform your positioning when your customer is a service, not just a place that sells services and products, or not just a place that uses your services? And here's some more food for thought. How will things change when retailers perceive you as a customer, not just as a supplier? And finally, taking all of these stakeholders into consideration is going to be really important, not just focusing on traditional consumer segmentation. I've been encouraging my clients to think about how they support solutions and services in retail. And that's still valid because it's a big growth engine for retailers. But now that's quickly evolving to include how your products, services, or solutions benefit retail employees and even other suppliers, maybe your competitors. Now, the easy knee-jerk answer might be, hmm, my products and services really don't support that. But I encourage you to dig deeper and start thinking about how they might, because that's where things are going next. So we're definitely going to stay on top of the RAS trajectory, Retailer as Service. That means monetizing platforms, looking at employees and suppliers as customers. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a game changer. Now let's get to our lightning round of retail headlines from the past couple of weeks, and I'm going to plug them into our trajectory tracker. There are two intertwined trajectories in particular that are gaining steam and that wrap all of these stories together as retailers set the stage for a post-COVID world, portfolio power and the private brand Palooza. Now, you've heard me talk about both in the past, but they continue to just take off and accelerate. Dix, Asda, Walmart, and JCPenney all made announcements that point to them pumping up their brand portfolios. Dick's owned brands generated $1.3 billion in sales during the past year. They just added a men's athleisure brand to the stable in order to pump up those dollars even further. In the past, Dick's has traditionally been a flagship location for some national brands. They give them dedicated space. They have highly trained salespeople at the ready. So Dick's has been an A store for lots of brands over the years. But as more of these brands become ubiquitous and start selling in more marketplaces, which we've also talked about, and as more of them pursue direct-to-consumer models, Dick started putting pedal to the metal on their private brands. They're basically saying, if national brands want to own their destiny, good for you. But two can play that game. Dix has the platform, but now it's going to continue to build its portfolio rather than relying too heavily on those ungrateful national brands. Walmart also has made some big brand moves lately. They brought in a designer, Brandon Maxwell, not to design a capsule collection and head for the door, but to oversee the next stage development of two of Walmart's elevated brands, Scoop and Free Assembly. So clearly, Walmart isn't just going to be slapping labels on leggings. They're going for a coordinated brand effort and pushing beyond basics. They're getting serious and getting back to the business of thoughtfully building out a good, better, best strategy and apparel. Walmart still has a stake in UK-based supermarket Asda, but a couple of billionaire brother owners took a bigger chunk recently, and they're taking things in new directions. 
As does George Brand has had a storied history as a top brand in the UK, and there have been all kinds of attempts to translate that success in the US within Walmart stores. But just when rumors started flying that the new owners might hang a price tag on old George, plans to bring in a slew of new third-party brands to Asda to complement the brand have emerged instead. Now, Asda also has announced plans to cut back grocery space by as much as 25% in order to bring in, what else? More solutions and services. But either way, more brands are definitely on the way at Asda. JCPenney's new developer owners, Simon Properties and Brookfield, also see brand expansion as key to Penny's turnaround. Their latest move represents a literal portfolio play because they're partnering with brand marketing company Authentic Brands to bring brands like Forever 21 and Juicy Couture into Pennies. So instead of making one-off brand deals, Pennies is plugging right into an existing multi-brand portfolio run by Authentic Brands. It's going to be really interesting, though, to see if Pennies shears off any of its existing brands to make way for them. If they don't, I think it's going to be hard for the new brands to get noticed. And now Bed Bath & Beyond just launched Nestwell, one of eight new private brands that it's rolling out as part of its reinvention. Now, right now, private brands represent about 10% of Bed Bath & Beyond's assortments, but now they're planning on jacking that number up to 30% or more. Nestwell is just the first shot across the brand bow, and Bed Bath & Beyond's entry into this private brand palooza that's only going to get more heated at Bed Bath & Beyond and across all of retail. So that's a lot of brand action for just a couple of weeks. But what they all have in common, the universal goal, is that retailers want to prepare for pent-up demand in discretionary categories like apparel and home. Retailers are determined to make up for lost sales and margin in these categories, and they want to make it count as vaccinations roll out and as store shopping potentially ramps up. Retailers don't want to give shoppers any excuses to shop for sweatpants or swimsuits anyplace else. They know that they're going to have to broaden their reach once again to make that happen, to capture the full spectrum of shopper preferences and lifestyles as things start to open up. That means consumers working from home, but maybe venturing out or planning travel for the first time in a long time. It's going to be the full gamut of experiences and lifestyles. If you play any role in making these categories happen, whether you represent brands or provide services that support them, now is a great time to make your play. Even if they showed you the hand in the past, it's a good time to make another pass. As I always say in retail, no usually means no for now. If you want to learn more about how you can make the most of these opportunities through my platform positioning workshops, trainings, and presentations, or if you're building out content for upcoming thought leadership events, ping me directly at carol at speakermanretail.com. I want you to know that my clients are starting to plan in-person events, particularly going into third and fourth quarter. You can check out my schedule on my site under speaking at speakermanretail.com, and you can reach out to me directly anytime at carol at speakermanretail.com. Thanks for listening in today, and happy selling.